I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, July 12th, 2022. Coming up in a brand new book, a Pulitzer Prize-winning correspondent and a former private investigator dive deep into the murky waters of the international salmon farming industry. This is a $20 billion global industry. It's controlled by a handful of multinational firms, and they bombard you with misinformation. The book is Salmon Wars, the dark underbelly of our favorite fish. We'll hear more today. The title of this song is Ask the Fish. It's from the famed boulder band Leftover Salmon, which, by the way, is playing at Red Rocks this weekend. As for what to ask about the fish, 10 years ago, farmed Atlantic salmon replaced tuna as the most popular fish on North America's dinner tables. We've been told salmon is healthy and environmentally friendly. The reality is disturbingly different. In a new book that's out today, titled Salmon Wars, Investigative journalists Douglas France and Catherine Collins bring readers to the massive ocean feedlots where millions of salmon are crammed into parasite plague cages and fed a chemical-laced diet. France and Colin document how the industrialization of Atlantic salmon threatens this keystone species, endangers our health and environment, and lines the pockets of our generation's version of big tobacco. And they show how it doesn't need to be this way. To find out more, up next we talk with the authors of Salmon Wars via Skype at their home, which is near a pristine bay in Nova Scotia. Catherine Collins and Doug France, your new book is The Salmon Wars. Yes, Salmon Wars. I have to tell you that I really did not want to read this book because I like to eat salmon. <laughs> Let's start with the spoiler. Where do you think the best place is to get good salmon today? Uh, just about two kilometers down the road. <laughs> Where again do you live? We live in Nova Scotia, and there are two land-based salmon farms here in Nova Scotia. And our local fishmonger, Ellie Conrad, carries both of them. And we only eat land-based salmon. Is this the Blue House salmon? No, there are two local ones. One is called Cape Door, and one is called Sustainable Blue. Atlantic Sapphire is in outside Miami, Florida, of all the weird places to raise salmon. And it's the largest land-based salmon producer in the world. They've distributed their land-based salmon pretty widely, but it's still not very available. Land-based salmon, which is the only healthy salmon to eat, except for wild Pacific salmon, of course. Land-based farms don't use pesticides. They don't use antibiotics. They don't damage the environment. The fish never touch the ocean, so they don't need all these chemicals to protect them against disease and viruses, and they, they don't harm the environment in any way. And one important thing is they're not swimming around and around in their own feces and the stew of chemicals. We'll get into how horrific things are in the farm-raised salmon, but you also said in your book, Salmon Wars, that of all of the groups doing farm-raised salmon, 
Whole Foods is kind of sort of okay or not. I mean, there are places that, according to the Monterey Bay Aquarium's special rating system, they're buying their salmon for more responsibly raised places. That's true to a certain degree. Although we interviewed Carrie Brownstein, the head of food fish standards at, at Whole Foods, and they do have what they call organic salmon that comes from Norway and some from Iceland. They're raised in a better way, although they're still in these floating feedlots. The argument here is that salmon has a huge carbon footprint. They've got to fly it all the way across the Atlantic, and then Whole Foods has to distribute it all over. The idea with land-based salmon is that it can be close to the market, and therefore it cuts the carbon footprint in terms of distribution. Doug France, i got to tell you, though, I've looked and looked. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I've looked for a place that sells the kind of salmon that you recommend. It is not available here. There was a grocery store called Sprouts that supposedly was going to be selling it, but they're not. The other thing that I've heard about is something called wild-type salmon out of San Francisco that is now basically taking clones of salmon cells and brewing them up like a brewery to make things that taste like sushi. Yeah. What do I do? Do I stop eating fish? What can I do? You should certainly stop eating Atlantic salmon that was raised in open net pens, these floating feedlots where there's a stew of chemicals and excess excrement and all kinds of horrible things that these fish swim around in for two to three years. So stop eating farm-raised open-net salmon. But the problem is you don't know what you're getting. You go to the store and what you're going to see on the label is probably just fresh Atlantic salmon. And so you think oceans, you think pristine rivers. It's just not true. Catherine called um, a fishmonger, a fish department person at one of the sprout stores in Boulder today, just trying to look for this. But the thing is that this is an emerging technology and there are dozens of projects around the world. And I think that in the near future, this is going to become more easily available. Catherine Collins, in your book, Salmon Wars, you paint a horrific picture of just what it means to have farm-raised salmon right now in most of the operations, that the amount of pesticides that are used, the amount of filth that's in these swimming pool-sized cages that the salmon are in, the amount of lice that the salmon carry on their bodies is totally disgusting and not healthy for the salmon, not healthy for the planet, not healthy for us. So, of course, I wanted to find something better. But as you say, all of these things that sound so promising are not here in the center of the United States yet. There is a company in the center of the United States, in Wisconsin, who has a very interesting project. They've tricked these salmon into living their whole lives in fresh water rather than fresh and salt water. They are grown in Wisconsin. And they've combined the facility with the hydroponics facility. The place in Wisconsin that Catherine is describing is called Superior Fresh. They've learned to raise these fish only in fresh water, which means two things. They grow faster. They don't need to use chemicals because this is fresh water in big tanks on land. And then they can filter the water and recycle it through a 13-acre hydroponic greenhouse where they're raising leafy vegetables. And so there's no water loss, there's no disturbance to the environment at all. 
and Superior Fresh is beginning to distribute its fish around the Midwest. And you're right, Shelley, it's very hard to find this, but the predictions are from experts that 20 to 25% of the salmon market in the United States and Canada will come from land-based salmon farms by 2030. Now, what does that mean now? You're right, you've got a problem. You really shouldn't eat farm-raised salmon more than once a month. And if you happen to be a pregnant woman or an infant or a child, you shouldn't eat any kind of salmon more than about once a month. I know the doctors tell us it's healthy, but they're not telling you everything. When you say don't eat any kind of salmon, you mean not even wild-caught salmon? Oh, no, eat wild-caught salmon. So you're talking about farm-raised salmon, any salmon that is farm-raised, even if it has a stamp that says it was cultivated in a humane and in a clean and in an antibiotic-free way. There's no way to tell. No, there is no way to tell. This is a $20 billion global industry. It's controlled by a handful of multinational firms, and they bombard you with misinformation. They talk about this being sustainable. They talk about it being naturally raised. They talk about it being ocean fresh. You know, that's just not true. Those things are not true. Well, Catherine Collins and Doug France, you are both investigative reporters who have written on a variety of topics. And now that we know how horrible you think farm-raised salmon is, and now that you know how hard it is for me to get something other than that here in Boulder, Colorado, let's go back and circle around and explain how you decided to look at this topic. There are really two answers to this question because it may seem like an odd topic for us. Neither one of us is an angler. We're not fly fishermen. We aren't marine biologists. We aren't even environmentalists. We're reporters. But we, like our readers, are simply people trying to do our best to eat healthy and to eat in a responsible, sustainable way. And that said, we do have a connection with this topic that not everyone will have. My father was an avid fly fisherman. And so for years, all our special meals were wild-caught Atlantic salmon. Unfortunately, our kids will never know that pleasure. Secondly, when my parents retired and moved back to Nova Scotia from the States, they bought a little house on the South Shore, and across the cove was a small farm that went in, and my father was so excited. Salmon farm. Salmon farm. Thrilled, thinking he was intrigued. He thought, here's the answer to saving wild salmon. We can raise them on the ocean, and we will leave the wild salmon alone, and the population will return. Oh, within years, just a few years, the eelgrass and the seabed was gone. There was litter all over the shorelines and the salmon just was not the same. Yeah, and so we moved back to Nova Scotia five years ago. In January of 2020, some of our neighbors told us that there was going to be a meeting in Mahone Bay, which is a small town not far from our house here in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. They said there was concern about 20 salmon farms being placed along the Nova Scotia coastline. And so we went to this meeting, not knowing quite what to expect, but having a little bit of the history that Catherine just talked about, about the damage that these farms can cause. And we went there and it was a small community center packed with about 400 people. This was pre-COVID. And so they were spilling out into the hallways and we heard a series of experts, of activists, of our neighbors who are lobster fishers and just normal people raising real concerns about the impact of these salmon farms on our coastline. 
which is a coastline that draws tourists. It's a coastline that feeds a huge lobster fishing population here. I mean, it's essential to the economic health of Nova Scotia. And so we did what we do. We decided to investigate this and see what the story really was with these farms. And the aha moments was really a photograph. We all have images that change the way we look at the world. For me, it was the tank man in Tiananmen Square who defied the Chinese tanks rolling in, or Steve McCurry's photograph of that beautiful Afghan girl he took in a refugee camp in the 1980s. Here, the, the salmon farming industry has its own disturbing images. And one is of a yardstick stuck in the ground, the, the filth, the seabed below a salmon farm, 32 inches worth of filth. The other one is if you Google salmon and sea lice, you'll see horrific images of salmon with their faces and their fins eaten away by these sea lice infestations. Yes, you know, Catherine Collins, in your book, Salmon Wars, descriptions of the problems with sea lice were so extremely disquieting that I went online myself and looked at some of these pictures of these fish where it, literally these little tiny lice have eaten away most of their faces and their skin. And then to hear that these horribly mauled fish are actually still cleaned and sold to consumers where you don't know that that's where they started from is horrifying. Added to that, the fact that some of the chemicals that are used by this industry to kill the sea lice are not good for anybody. Your description of the lobster fishermen in your area who lost probably a million dollars worth of lobster because they got poisoned by this illegal chemical that is in the salmon to get rid of the sea lice. It was just a pretty horrible picture all the way around. It is. And you know, talking about the sea lice, Shelley, one of the most defining moments for us on that was talking with a woman named Laverne Jackman, who lives in Newfoundland, the most easternmost province of Canada, and had spent 35 years working in a fish processing plant down on the southern coast. In the last few years she was working there, they brought in farmed Atlantic salmon from these cages, and she said they had, were cover, so covered with sea lice that they used shop vacs to vacuum them off the fish, and then they would throw them down on the line, and they would process them, as, as, as you described. And the interesting thing about sea lice is that they do occur naturally. They're, you can find them on wild salmon, too. If you catch a salmon, you can flick it off with your fingernail. But because these fish are kept in such close quarters, the infestations can become horrendous. Out in the wild, the currents and you know, life in general will knock these sea lice off, and they don't inflict any damage. And if they do, and the fish is weakened, he will die. That's nature at work. Yes, your book, Salmon Wars, it was very interesting to read in there about how animals like killer whales that do eat salmon probably also help keep the sea lice population down because if a fish is really sick with sea lice, it's more likely to get caught and eaten by a killer whale. But in these farms, that can't happen because all of the salmon are in these cages that are covered with mollusks and seaweed, and they have at the bottom of the cages dead salmon. They have the fish that have somehow managed to get in to try to eat the salmon that have died in the cages. The water is so murky that the fish can't see each other as they're swimming around. It's a horrible picture. How big is a cage that's used for farming salmon? The cage is about 30 feet in diameter, 
it goes down anywhere from 30 to 50 feet below the surface. It floats on a flotation device on the surface. It's usually circular, anchored to the seabed with cables and ropes. And so you've got a 30 foot diameter net which has plastic netting around it. And in that single cage, you may find 80,000 to 100,000 fish. Now PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, compared the space that salmon have in a salmon farm cage to a bathtub. And they said it'd be like having 27 full-size salmon in your bathtub. So you can imagine how crowded it is in there and why those places become vectors for parasites and pathogens and all kinds of viruses. You think about wild salmon, they're swimming around in the ocean largely by themselves with lots of ocean water around them. I have to admit that's kind of how I pictured a farm-raised salmon operation with these pristine cages with fresh ocean water flowing in and out of them, happy fish being raised in a safe environment. That's how I pictured it. And to picture instead this horribly murky water and these fish that are chewed up by the sea lice are still harvested after they've eaten all kinds of pesticides. And this market that really isn't regulated to keep any of that from happening, that was very troublesome. Your impression, your belief in what you were eating was exactly what the industry wants you to think. And they have spent lots and lots of money and had lots of experts out there pushing that idea. But the reality is shockingly different. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. We're talking with investigative journalists Douglas France and Catherine Collins about their brand new book, Salmon Wars, the dark underbelly of our favorite fish. As far as the, the pesticides and the antibiotics in these fish, we had an interview with a guy named Leonardo Trasande, and he's a medical doctor with a degree in medicine from Harvard and in public health from Harvard and in environmental medicine from Harvard. And he's a specialist in the impact of toxins on children. And he said that you don't know what you're eating with these salmon because there's no labeling that is accurate. You don't know where they come from. And the problem is that even if there are only small contaminants, small portions of residue in there, it bioaccumulates in your body. And over a time, it will be there. If you're 20 years old and you eat a salmon that has been contaminated with PCBs, which happens, those PCBs will still be in your body when you die at 70 or 80 or 90. Let's not make this too depressing. Okay. But before we look at some things that aren't as depressing, let's go ahead and admit from your book, you meticulously looked at some of the ways that activists have tried to raise the alarm about what's happening with salmon raised in these farms, how it is actually causing so much pollution, it's killing off the wild salmon that are trying to get back up in the rivers to their homelands. So it's, it's not good that way. It's not really good for people. There's their use of pesticides. My impression is that when people try to say, we need to regulate this, it's not being regulated very well. And if somebody's caught doing something wrong, they basically get a wrist slap. They get a fine that isn't enough to stop anybody. They get a wrist slap. Is that exaggerated or is that your view? That's absolutely accurate. 
One of the most interesting cases occurred here in Nova Scotia, in the Bay of Fundy, where the biggest independent salmon farmer in the world, Cook Aquaculture, was caught smuggling a banned pesticide. No, neurotoxin. Uh, well, a banned pesticide that is a neurotoxin in from the U.S. and using it at 15 of their salmon farms to try and fight a plague of sea lice that were killing their salmon or threatening to kill their salmon. So they smuggled it in, they used it, and around all those farms, lobsters died. And Environment Canada, our version of the EPA here in Canada, discovered this when a lobster farmer reported it. They discovered it, they investigated it, they found that Cook had knowingly done this. They charged Glenn Cook, the head of the company, and two executives with criminal charges, but they negotiated for a year, and the criminal charges against the individuals were dismissed, and one of the subsidiaries of Cook Aquaculture pleaded guilty and paid $500,000 in penalties, which is really just walking around money for these big multinational corporations. So they paid $500,000 in penalties which is a wrist slap in terms of the profit that they're making. And it's interesting. The last time the Food and Drug Administration reported the numbers, they inspected only 89 samples out of 379,000 tons of salmon brought to the United States. Living in Paris, we know that you can do this better because we found that each market identified the fish, where it was raised, how it was harvested, and what it consumed during its lifetime. You can do this. I'm thinking about many people who will listen to this and say, this is so unappetizing. This is so disgusting. This is so demoralizing that it's time to become a vegetarian. That's one option. To people who do eat fish, let's just look at this and say, what can they do right now? And in your book, you did say that organizations such as Whole Foods seem to be more responsible in choosing farm-raised operations that are more responsibly run. And that the extra clue about that is that the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch does give some farm-raised salmon a less than horrible rating because at least the fish are not as crowded in together. They don't use as many antibiotics. And as you say, there are problems with the cost and the use of greenhouse gases to transport this around the world, but at least they're saying that fish is pretty safe to eat. That's true. You can go on Seafood Watch's website. They have a green light, yellow light, red light system, and they can tell you which ones are the best alternatives and which ones might be good alternatives and which ones you really should avoid, the red ones. Yeah, Whole Foods does better, but you're safest eating wild salmon. In 2004, I know it seems like a long time ago, there was a massive study done by scientists at Cornell University and Indiana University. And in that study, it was the first of its kind. They found open net farm-raised salmon had seven times the PCBs that were in wild salmon. When you say open net, that's these cages yes. that are about 30 by 30 feet and they go very, down very deep, but at the very top, it's just normal water at the top. Yes, yeah. This is a concentration camp for salmon. Yes, exactly. It's a concentration camp. That's perfect. We'll have to keep that analogy. That's that's excellent. <laughs> um, well, and so here you have these salmon that are locked into these places, these farm-raised salmon, with all of these higher levels of pollutants 
but it is the case that um, there are some groups trying to responsibly source farm-raised salmon. Plus, you've mentioned a couple of times now that you're very intrigued with the idea of land-raised salmon, where you can control the water, you can take the water that they've been swimming in and siphon out the excrement that makes a great fertilizer for crops and for other things so that they never have to get sea lice. They never have to get any of those kinds of pathogens. And instead, they live in clean water. What do they eat? Well, you just hit the major the major issue. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, no, it's an important issue because we read that we eat salmon because it's organic and we think it's sustainable. The fact is, when you ask about how, how we eat sustainably, salmon are carnivores. Historically, it has taken about three pounds of wild fish to make enough fish meal and fish oil to raise a pound of salmon. I'm Shelley Schlender. Our guests today have been Douglas France and Catherine Collins, the Pulitzer Prize-winning authors of a brand new book titled Salmon Wars, The Dark Underbelly of Our Favorite Fish. We'll continue our conversation with the authors on next week's show, starting with just what might be the most environmentally friendly diet for land-based salmon. In time for next week's show, we also hope to hear from local food markets for their opinions about land-based salmon and whether they will plan to offer it. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Beth Bennett. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from the Boulder band Leftover Salmon, which happens to be playing at Red Rocks this weekend. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and how to subscribe to our podcast. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.